Good morning and welcome to Golden City Alliance where uh, we love God and we want to honor Him in everything that we do in His Word. And welcome for those of us who are joining here online and physically. No, we are inviting those of you who are able. No, if you are able, you are able-bodied, please do join us here physically because encouragement that we gain when we meet physically. I'd like to honor our dear beloved uh, founding pastor, Pastor Ruben Ang, who's also here. No? So <laughs> thank you for your presence, Pastor Ang. You're such an encouragement for, uh, to be here. And so uh, can you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5? And we, are, we have been going through the book of Hebrews in the past few months, starting I think in June or July. And what we talked about last week was how Jesus Christ can fully satisfy us in our life today. Not only for today, tomorrow, but forever. And specifically, the preacher here in Hebrews 5 was saying how Jesus is so wonderful. He's better than any of the previous high priest, human high priest before him. And he is, in fact, the eternal high priest. And so he's saying here, uh, last week he said, although he was God's son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, being made qualified now, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And, and be, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you were following last Sunday's sermon, I purposely did not tackle or, or expound on the, this wonderful truth of who Jesus is as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. In fact, it was repeated twice last Sunday's passage. The reason is because in chapter 7, starting on chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, the, the preacher will resume and expound on this wonderful truth of who Jesus is as our high priest according to to the order of Melchizedek. But for our passage today, the preacher of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, will suddenly take a turn. No? If you've ever been engaged in a conversation, na suddenly there's a change of topic, halos there's no warning. Biglang kambiada. No? Change the topic and ah, what, what were you talking about? I thought we were talking about this, you're talking about that. And that's precisely what's going to happen today. The preacher who has been talking about how Jesus is the best high priest will suddenly take a change of direction. He'll suddenly make a change of direction. He'll suddenly talk of something else. And why? You can raise the question, a good question. And, you know, before they'd use it as an attention grabber. Rhetorical or uh, uh, people, I mean, uh, oratorical people, you know, when you're, when you're speaking, it is an attention-grabbing technique that you would change topic and it would say, make the person say, huh, pay attention, okay? But I tell you, it's more than that. Because one of the reasons why he suddenly changes topic is because he's addressing a pattern in their lives. He's addressing a pattern in their lives. And you find a clue actually all over the book of Hebrews. In chapter 2, after he speaks about how Jesus is so wonderful, that he's God who speaks, that he's better than angels, better than prophets, better than Moses, he suddenly makes this comment. All right, okay, you know this wonderful truth of Jesus I've been teaching you. Now pay close attention to the message You've heard, lest you drift away. So in the middle of how he's, he's teaching his congregation about Jesus Christ, truth upon wonderful truth about Jesus Christ, he makes and repeatedly will urge the person, the people that he's preaching to, listen, huh? listen guys, carefully listen, unless you drift away from this, unless you lose this. And he'll do that again in, in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, as he teaches us about Jesus, he says, okay, look at Jesus. 
Look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. Because you might be considering something else right now. Consider Jesus. And in verse 8, he says, Don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. And so you see a pattern. It's like, don't drift away. Pay close attention to the truth that is being preached to you right now, that is being taught to you right now, because you'll drift away if you don't. Don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness where they, when they would hear the word of God, they were led by the cloud, the pillar of fire, and, and Moses himself as the prophet, giving them the message direct from God, but yet they hardened their hearts. In verse 12, he repeats this again. He says, take care, lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. So you could be similar to them among the people of Israel. You could be among those who were saved from the slavery of Egypt and now making your way towards the promised land and would have developed or would have had an evil heart still that remains unbelieving to God. And he's warning his congregation again, okay? Take care. So you're seeing a pattern. And then verse, chap, uh, chap, verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Fear, okay? Fear lest you fail to enter God's rest. You don't take it for granted. You don't say and, and, and abuse the, the grace of God. You, because people before us have done so, and they, they, we learned a lesson from them, a very painful lesson from them. And verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, Now hold fast. You're seeing the image? You're going to drift away if you're not paying careful attention. You're gonna har- if you don't, you're not careful, you're going to harden your heart. If you're not careful to hold fast, to your confession of faith, then these warnings as well are really, really important. And he's addressing them, these concerns, in a, in a pattern. And a pattern is emerging. Now here in chapter 5 in our text for today, in verses 11 to 14, and we'll proceed to chapter 6, 1 to 3, you'll hear the same thing. He'll suddenly make a change of topics not just for attention grabbing, but he's addressing a pattern in their lives. He's seeing that. So what you will see in verse 11 is this. He'll he'll now say, after he said something about how Jesus is so wonderful, such a wonderful high priest in the order of of Melchizedek, he continues in saying this, concerning Jesus, right? Concerning Jesus and him being a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, we have so much to say. And you could really see, you know, you could just feel his passion here. I'm so, you know, there's so many things I don't want to share to you about how wonderful Jesus is. But here's the concern. Why would he suddenly change topic? Because in verse 11, you see that in the pattern of the lives of his congregation, this was a pattern reaction. Have you ever been passionate about something? And suddenly, you, the one that you're talking to is like dozing off, showing no interest. Right? And, you know, you're so excited, you're so pumped up, and the next thing you see, oh, the person's just dead, reading from his phone, not paying attention. You know? And it's such a, it's a yeah, it's a downer. Like, I, li- I like board games. I-, I-, I grew to love board games in the past years. And my- I was teaching my wife. I was so excited teaching my wife about how to play with me. Because I was imagining we'd have a great time of playing board games. And then when I finally looked at her, um, yeah, yeah, no, no interest. <laughs> All my excitement went away, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. But then it's not, it's not just ha- uh, it doesn't just happen on on hobbies, right? This happens in the church. He's addressing people in the church, people who are people of God, saved by grace. And, and yet, when it, the, what we're talking about is God, the truths about God, 
It's an appalling reaction because the congregation, some on the congregation, displays what all of us feel, some of us feel right now. See, I can't wait until this is over. I hope he doesn't reach one hour again. Okay? And that's really the thing, no? I'm bored. Right? I, I, would have, I would rather do something else, but you know, I'm here because I have to. And, and the reaction is that it is something that is no interest. A bore, it's a boredom. It's, I, I don't like when you talk about God and His truth. I would rather you talk about how I can be blessed, how I could be encouraged. And so this sermon... I like to call the sermon a loving wake-up call. Because you have to consider what would be the motivation of the preacher, the one who wrote Hebrews and gave this sermon for the encouragement of a congregation who was discouraged. What would be his motivation in now shifting topic and actually you would see harsh words used here? Okay. Is he someone, a spiritual leader of the congregation, na he's looking at the failure of his people, they're sleeping and they're not paying attention to him? Is he, is he like angry here? It's like, oh, you guys, you better listen. I'm, I'm here to help you and yet you show me. What gratitude are you showing me, right? Is he that kind of uh, preacher here? Is that the tone here? Is he someone who's like superior, a spiritual superior, talking down to people, right? I'm here in a high and lofty position, and you guys there, you know, I'm talking down on you. Come on, come on, huh? you guys. And is he scolding them in that manner? Because his words will seem harsh, and our culture is very, we are very aware, no? and we are polite in as a society. And so for us, harsh confrontations, rebukes, reproach, even if it's biblical, is offensive. A lot of us get offended when we receive wake-up calls, when we receive rebukes. But for the context, you must understand, this is a pastor who loves his congregation and, his, and the congregation loves him back. This is a pastor then who is loving and, and there's, there's genuine love here and there's genuine concern here for the well-being of his congregation. And that's why out of this Christian love and concern for their spiritual state, or condition, he's making them this rebuke. Okay? This is a rebuke to his congregation. I like to call it a loving wake-up call, you see? Because we might miss out and say the rebuke, oh, so harsh, so unloving. I want to stress this clear. This is out of love, a love for God and for his people, that he would now lovingly give this reproach, a wake-up call. And we can understand this uh, in, in a scientific way. Years, uh, four years ago, I had a wart that grew out from my hand. And it started small. And for me, because I'm not a doctor, I thought uh, it's, just, it's just a, you know, uh, maybe an insect bite or, or something or a pimple. And I was trying to, you know, do the things that I used to do with a pimple. But it wouldn't go away. And as time goes by, from a tiny dot, it grew bigger, bigger, and bigger, and to a point that when I looked at it, I would, not, I would lose my appetite. It didn't look good. It looked disgusting, right? And my wife, all along, was urging me to go to a doctor to have it removed. But I would have reasons. Ah, later I'm busy. Oh, oh, ah, it's, it's, it's fine. It's just a small, you know, insignificant thing in my life. I don't need to address it. Now here comes the point where even me, I, I'm looking at it and says, oh, it's getting bigger. It's not getting any, it's not, it's not going to go away, right? And so, even though I have a you know, natural dislike to go to a doctor because for me, you know, there's a lot of waiting. You have to wait for the doctor. You have to fight through traffic and everything. It's a, it's a huge chunk of your day that's, that goes by every time you have to go to the doctor's office. But I went and my wife was with me at that day. And the first moment the doctor saw us and saw my, my, my wart in my hand, she exclaimed, oh my, 
and she said, what a ginormous warp. Meaning, it was so big. For me, it was a small thing. You know, it's a small thing lang. But for her, it was so big already. And she said, oh my, we got to remove this. I said, why doctor, do we have, we have to? Because I don't like needles. I don't like, you know, uh, undergoing uh, operation or surgery. He said, uh, no, we have to remove it because it's going to spread in your body. And your family members might also get it too. It's like sin, no? Some of us would think some sins in our life are tiny, small, insignificant. But, and so we have many reasons not to address it. We'd say we're addressing far more important things. We're busy. But little do we know that sin, left untended, will not go away and will instead get bigger and fester. And it will not just damage your own body, your own life, it'll affect other people's lives as well. And so a loving wake-up call is needed because we have many excuses. If my wife didn't insist, didn't keep on telling me and, and telling me that, if the doctor wouldn't have made, you know, with her knowledge and her expertise, given that focused attention to tell me what I needed to hear and what I needed and not just what I wanted to hear, because what I wanted to hear was, it's okay, you can go home, you know, problem solved. Oh, thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. No, she told me what I didn't want to hear and I had to do what I didn't want to do you know, pay for an expensive operation, and there was pain, right? But the result of that, healing was able to take place. We need this in church. We need this in our spiritual lives. We need this, in fact, in every aspect of our lives. We need to be told the truth in a loving way, and it's, it will never be comfortable, but I assure you it will always be profitable, so we have a need for loving rebukes, and this is one of them right now. This is for the congregation, I believe, as well for us here in GCAF. Now, concerning Jesus, what is he saying? What is his complaint? What is his, what is his reproach here? He says, I have a lot to say about Jesus Christ. And yet, it is so hard to explain to you. You know why it's hard to explain? Basically, if you tell this to your, to your children no, and explain to them the truth of God, it's actually not hard to explain. It's not actually hard to understand. It's not hard that you are not going to understand when it is explained to you, when it is, you are told the truth of God, that you're told that Jesus is a high priest, that you, we are to hold fast to our faith. It is not hard to understand these wonderful truths. What will make it hard is what your heart is feeling. If you're not willing to receive it, if you don't like it, then it is hard. You, it becomes hard to receive the truth of God when you don't like it, when you, don't, when you feel an indifference, when you feel there's something else better. So this is a reproach to saying it is hard to explain to you this wonderful truth of Jesus Christ and the reason why is not... not Siguro, we'll, we'll, I have heard this said in, in GCAF, no? don't preach hard doctrines. No? Don't preach difficult doctrines. Because the people, our congregation in GCAF, will not be able to understand. Just preach something simple. Just preach something easier or, or, or other portions of Scripture where you know, they will have an easier time to, to understand. But you know what? That's not his response here. That's not his way of ministering to this congregation who's discouraged to a point that they're giving up. In fact, after his reproach here, starting from chapter 7, he will continue on teaching them about Jesus Christ, about him in the high priest of Melchizedek, until chapter 10. So he's not stopping. He's making his congregation wake up. Why are you responding to God's word and his truth in this way? And his reproach is not on him who's a preacher. He said, sorry ha, baka kayo preach. Sorry ha, I'm not really a good uh, explainer. And sorry ha, the word is so hard. No, the word is not the problem. The messenger is not the problem. 
His accountability is making people an account, the ones who are listening, the ones who are listening. Because the reason why it's hard to explain to you these truths is because you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. What's that? Dull is, the Greek word would be a slug, nothros. And it carries the idea that you're sluggish, you're a sluggard, a lazy person. You have become lazy to listen to God. You have become lazy to obey God. You have become negligent in trusting God. You have neglected God in your life. A lot of things have been more, uh, more important to you, have been more interesting to you than God. And so you are lazy of hearing. You are sluggish and you are neg negligent. And so Nothros has the idea with it that the blame is not on other people, but on the person. The person, the individual who has become dull, Nothros, is the one who is to be blamed, accountable, that he has become, he has allowed himself, herself to become negligent, sluggish in some aspect of his or her life. And what aspect is he specifically talking about here? You've become dull of hearing. That means it describes those people in the church, who goes to church, who say they follow Jesus Christ, and yet have this attitude of a I don't care, I couldn't care less attitude when it comes to studying the Holy Scripture. When it comes to listening to the truth of Scripture. And they would have failed to give themselves to a regular, methodical, painstaking study of His teaching. Because it's not interesting. It's not relevant. And so there are things that I'd rather have principles in life. The world, I will accumulate worldly wisdom for myself because they're more interesting. And I think they're, they're more helpful than the Word of God. And so the dullness of hearing doesn't happen overnight. Dullness of hearing happens because it is a pattern in your life. It has been what you have been cho chosen to do, what you have de decided to be interested at, to love more. And day after day, you have become dull. You have become negligent and lazy of hearing. And that is hearing the Word of God. So that's why in verse 12, says, so that's the complaint. I want to make that clear, no? The complaint is his congregation, some of them, have become dull of hearing. And because they have become dull of hearing, part of his complaint is that you are becoming, you, have, you are immature. You remain immature. And you lack discernment. So they're all connected. This uh, reproach, this complaint of the preacher in Hebrews. Your dullness of hearing has made, has made you in a state that you are still immature and that you don't, you're not, you don't have discernment. You lack discernment in life. Now, in verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. We're not talking to people here who are first-time uh, newcomers in GCAF. Okay? If this is your first time to come here in GCAF or online to, to, look, to listen, then... Take a back seat, you know, have a popcorn and, and watch and listen. But of course, you also need to apply it to yourself because this might be you in the future. Now, but for, for us here who have been going to GCAF week after week, month after month, year after year, and the state would be that is this, the idea is this, enough time has passed already. You've heard the truth of God already. Enough that you're supposed to be mature and ought to be teaching already. And the reproach is because of your dullness of hearing, you're not. You're not. We have that same pattern of immaturity in GCAF. This is a reality, not a far-fetched, theoretical situation that we're looking at in Hebrews 5. This is 
us also in chapter 5. That in GCAF, we have a pattern of immaturity from the oldest of us to the youngest of us. Why is that so? Well, in order to identify a pattern of, of maturity, you might need to see some of how it's being lived out or worked out in, in GCAF. You have young people that when you talk about something else that they like, uh, sports, love, uh, uh, whatever that, they, that catches their fancy and interest right now, fads, you can talk for hours and they never go sleepy. The moment you talk to them about God, you talk to them about how this is good and, 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 and the goodness of God and His Word, it's like lights out. No interest. Get sleepy right away. We have that. See? And that not, doesn't come from external. It's coming from the heart. That's not, that's dull of hearing the word. We have parents who by this time ought to be teachers. If they've been in GCAF long enough, then they should have realized that the word of God, what the word of God has to say about their lives and for their children. And so you, the parents that have grown in the Word of God would have been teaching their children about Jesus Christ. And yet we have parents who have said that lately what we've been preaching in GCAF, and we've started verse by verse, we've started book by book uh, exposition of the Word three years ago. And so we started hearing shortly after we began preaching from the Word and no longer about the popular things that people like, we started hearing things like from parents that say, I don't know what's happening in Jika. My, 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 my children now don't understand what's being preached. And so we're going to transfer churches, okay? That's not someone who's mature. That's someone who's immature. Yes, the pattern of immaturity affects you as a parent as well. You could be a daddy and a mommy and still be childish. Not uh, childish. Yes, childish and immature. And you don't know. Now, we also have leaders. We, people we, we have promoted to leadership and yet still they have this immaturity in them that they are sluggish, dull of hearing in some or many aspects of their lives. And what have we done as a church? Because we are a church 34 years old. Think about it, 34 years old. You could hardly imagine that a 34-year-old man still acts like a baby. It, there's something wrong in that picture. But you see, when, when the church is immature, part of the expense is that you're not able to discern right and wrong. So what have been we been celebrating? With a dullness of hearing, a, a sin in the area of life, we dismiss away because we think, oh, he's effective in ministry. He's good at ministry, so it's okay. No, we'll just uh, sweep under the rug this immaturity of his. Another very, very real for us pattern is that we have a pattern here in GCAF that we don't like to be told the truth. We, find we are easily offended. You know, it is a mark of an immature person who gets easily offended. Even if it is the truth of the Word of God. And what happens? Well, it's going to get connected. Because if you, don't, if you don't like it, when you are reproached or rebuked, by the word of God, you're going to miss out on the wisdom of God. And your life is going to continue in a perilous trajectory. Unfortunately, a lot of us decide the easier way out. We try to keep the peace by keeping quiet. And when when people do that, when people in the church do that, when for the sake of peace, a false kind of peace, they keep quiet because that's the easier way out. That's the easiest thing to do. They submerge their true feelings in order to preserve harmony. They think that's the right thing to do. But you know what? 
the, 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 the result would be an undermining of the integrity of relationships. No relationship remains intact or has the integrity when the person finds out that your true feelings from another person. You see the point? It will come out from, because from all, off your heart, your mouth will speak. And what these people will do, this, if this is prevalent and allowed to go on and start immaturity in the church, any church, is that people will try to buy peace on the surface, but underneath there are hurt feelings, troubling questions. And you'll hear questions like, I've seen that person, he's she's already leading he's already leading a group why is he acting this way have you heard of those questions troubling questions I thought I thought she was a leader I thought he was a pastor I thought that's an elder how long have you been a member and those would be the questions right and with this the, the costly price to pay for this cheap piece is that it leads to inauthentic relationship Now what happens? This loving rebuke of a pastor, concern and love for his congregation in Hebrews is, a, is something we could learn, something we could grow out from. And so this loving wake-up call for us here in GCAF is let's wake up. Wake up. Wake up, daddy. Wake up, mommy. Wake up. Member of the body of Christ, wake up disciple of Christ, wake up leader, wake up pastor, wake up elder, wake up worship leader. Let's all wake up. This is a wonderful part of being in a body of Christ. This is one of the things that we do in love. One of the blessings we get when we are part of this truth-loving community that is maturing in each day and out. You see, for, for by the time you ought to be teachers, you have, be, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Uh, make no mistake. Don't be naive. If you think you being in a state of immaturity in your life, whatever it is in your life, you think it's harmless. No, it's going to harm your life and the people around you. And the body of Christ is, 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 is hurting here because even though you're now supposed to be ministering to others, you're still needing to be ministered to. You still needed to be taught. And it's not even the mature into maturity. You're still being taught the basic. You need to go back to the basic. Professionals do this. Companies do this. Corporate world do this. When there's something wrong in their, in their organization, they go back to their fundamentals. They go back to their basics. And so, is it amazing that when he's addressing to them a crisis of faith in their lives, he's teaching to them again, foundational truths of Jesus Christ again and again he's building up to them who Jesus is because they have come to need milk and not solid food the problem with dullness of hearing is that it puts you in a state a dangerous state that if you are at peace with just taking what you like then what does that say of your heart and response to, love, to God. What does that say of your love for God? That if you're bored with God. No, don't tell me you have no capacity to show love with passion and zeal and interest because you do that. I'll just look into other areas of your life where you love and I'll see that you are a person who's showing that kind of love and attention already. No. You have become dull and lazy because you're depending on something and it might be not be true. Okay, pay attention, careful, lest you drift away. Don't harden your heart like they did in unbelief. Careful of an evil heart that would come in among us. The person would just be content, you know. Now question, what have you been eating? 
you, you could go and look at the illustration of, a, of an infant. You know right away that if an infant would just insist that, that I don't want drink milk, I just want my favorite snack, sugar, sweet, candies. You know right away that the person will grow up to have so many prob health problems in life. You see, because he's been, he doesn't want to eat healthy, nutritious food. Even those that, you know, and, and in this world, healthy, nutritious food comes in not very delicious, right? The ampalaya, the, the, the vegetables. And I hear a lot of us don't like to eat vegetables. And, and that's why your body is missing out. Your, your body is sick, gets easily sick. And think about it. For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously... I'm using the amplified version here, inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness. And the doctrine of righteousness, to make it clear, is that that's simply the word of God. The doctrine of righteousness is everything, every part of the, the, the word of God. Now, we, we hear a lot of people say, don't teach doctrine, that's boring. That, that comes from the same heart that's dull of hearing. And if you remain dull of hearing, you might be showing a state or a condition of your heart that's on dangerous, dangerous ground. You might not be. You might not have received the word. You might not have been loving the word. You might have just heard it. You might just think you're believing it. But you're not treasuring it. You're not loving it. What does that say about your faith? And so, the result here is that everyone who insists to feed on milk will just become inexperienced and unskilled because he'll, one ear in, one ear out. There's nothing. Indifference. There's no interest to live it out, to obey. It's hearing the word, but not doing it. And so the doctrine of righteousness... If not taken in, if not lived out, results in a life that becomes abhorrent, becomes stagnant. And, you, and it would, there would be this, script, uh, this definition that you remain an infant. You could be 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, and remain a spiritual infant. You could be in any position in the world, the highest rank or the lowest rank, and still be guilty of be, being an infant in the Lord. And the more faithful we are in preaching and teaching the Word of God in the church, the more this will happen in GCAF as well. That there will be those people who will say, I don't understand and I don't like what's going on here. But here's the good news. Because yes, even though this will be in the congregation, and you must heed, if this is you, if you, have, if you are bored, and if you've shown a pattern of life that every time the word of God is, is preached to you, and it's not something that pleases you, you get bored with a word pay close attention my dear friend on the other hand there are those when solid food is given when the word of God is preached truthfully and faithfully the mature these are people who, who chew who, who in, in, digest the word of God for their lives and because the wonderful result of that is that they will, because of their practice, see, it's, it's lifestyle. It's day-by-day uh, day, day, being nourished in the Word of God. The practice makes you, your senses, your life, it trains you, the Word of God does, to discern good and evil. What a tragedy if we would have church leaders that don't even love the Word of God, don't handle the Word of God correctly, and as a result, don't even know what is right and wrong. 
What a tragedy if that is your life as a parent that you don't know what is right and wrong. So that's why you have been lazy. The time that you ought to be teaching and explaining the Word of God to your son and daughters, they've now grown to be teenagers. When they would say, Mommy, Daddy, I don't like to go to church. Okay, do what you want. And, and you've not been doing your mandate because you don't know. You, you're, you are not able to discern what you should have done. And what happens? You're reaping what you sowed. My dear friend, one of the mandate, the commands of God for a pastor is to help the church grow by teaching the whole counsel of God. And yet, we will hear objections like, don't preach doctrine. Just give us heartwarming sermons that will encourage us. But I like what Wiersbe said. He said, if you don't base your sermons on doctrines, it will accomplish nothing. But the complaint was, but doctrine is so dull. And people would complain. Not if it is presented the way the Bible presents it. The solid food. Solid food is for the mature. GKF, wake up. What have you been eating in the past years? What have you been eating on your personal life as you journeyed here? Have you been eating merely on uh, snacks or uh, something like sweets? Eat from the milk, from the moment you receive the Word of God, He gives you the teacher, the Holy Spirit. You can drink the milk, and yes, the church will help in explaining and the wonderful thing is that you will grow and be mature. And your family will thank God for you. Your whole community will thank God that you are. And that's why from the, the identifying of the problem, there's now a plea. There's now a wake-up call. Let's grow up into Maturity. Don't remain like infants. Grow up. And therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. I want to dwell here for a little while because there might be a misunderstanding. Some people have understood that, hey, you know, that's why we don't teach the gospel anymore. That's why yeah, you're not supposed to keep repeating the gospel anymore because, you know, we're supposed to grow into maturity. Let me tell you that, you know, in the context here, his congregation is made up of Jewish Christians. They were formerly in the religion of Judaism, right? And now they're converts into Christianity and they still have this remnant of their understanding from what they grew up with as Hebrews, as Jews. Now think about it. These are people who are now going to church and yet are holding on to some pattern of belief or old pattern of life still. They have not let go. And when he talks about, when, when the pastor here preaches about leave the elementary teachings about Christ, that's not talking about the gospel or the foundational truths of his word, no. It talks about the Old Testament and what it, it taught them about Jesus Christ, about the Messiah. You see, even from the Old Testament, God was already teaching His people about the Christ. It's the foundational teaching in the Old Testament. Now, the elementary teachings about Jesus Christ is Judaism from the Old Testament. But now that Jesus has arrived and Jesus has come and they're now believing in Jesus, some of them hasn't made the transition. Some of them hasn't let go from their old belief system. They're still working their faith out by law. They're still trusting in some rituals and ceremonies. And you'll see that in the seeding verses. But I want to make this point clear. It's because, yes, the gospel is for those who are yet to be saved. We're supposed to share to them. But do you know, no, we're speaking, I like this. He said, yes, it is important that we preach the gospel to the lost. 
but it is also just as important that we interpret the gospel to the saved. If you think about it, the entire New Testament from Matthew to Revelation is an interpretation and application of the gospel. Pabalik-balik, o explain, o show you how the gospel works in us, through us, and out of us in our life. Paul did not just write Romans to tell the Romans how to be saved because they were already saints. He, he wrote Romans to explain to them what was really involved in their salvation. Every epistle in the New Testament is addressed to churches. Did you know that? And they, they, what are the contents of the epistles? The gospel. Again, you see the gospel again and again explained and how it is applied in situations. In other words, this, the call to maturity is not just, you know, some mumbo-jumbo. It's also basically an evangelistic call. Hey, people in the church, if your hearts have remained dull of hearing and you have still remained in a state of immaturity, grow up, move to Christ, Go all the way in. You can't enter the kingdom of God one foot in, one foot out. You can't enter the, in, the kingdom of God with the, with, through just going through the motions. I'll give you this. In, 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 we'll move, before we move to the practical applications. See, not laying again a foundation. Not laying again a foundation. And what is a foundation? It's just, just laid once. That's why it's an evangelistic call because if you are truly saved, regenerated, justified, and sanctified by God and will continue to be sanctified until your glorification, that's once. You only need it once. But from the foundation, something will grow, something will be built in your life that will, people will, will see. Meaning, there should be that result. And if there's none, you have a heart check right now. It's dull of hearing. You have to ask your question, why? What have you been loving? What have you not been letting go? And because it would be possible that that's the, those are the things that you love more than God. Those aren't actually the things that you are following. And so think about it. I'll give you five quick applications on how we could respond to this call to grow in the Lord, to toward maturity, toward maturity. Number one, in, 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 in verse 1 says, you know, you're not supposed to lay a foundation again and again and again. It's pointless. Because the foundation is sufficient. The milk is sufficient to make you grow. The Word of God is able to make you grow and teach you in all things in life. And one thing that he says now, he'll, he'll state actually six, but four, I've summarized it in the four, five. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. What does that mean? Remember, they were repenting. These are people who are repenting, saying sorry. But they're relying on dead works. And dead works here has the idea that you are simply relying on works that don't count. Works that don't count with God. And so I've heard here in GCAF say, you know what? Don't look at the, 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 the little sins in my life because you look at the things that I've accomplished here in my ministry. So how dare you just focus on the little things in my life, the little sins in my life, because you look at instead on how what the good I've done. And we should you know, you should know that if you're growing in the Lord, He doesn't require or like your offering and sacrifices. What He loves is your worship, your heart of obedience to Him. And so if you're dismissing your state of dullness of hearing, you're avoiding having to deal with that because you think that you have works. You're depending on works. But they're dead works. They're worthless without faith. And so, GCAF, let's grow. Let, let's grow up. Stop just saying you're sorry. 
okay, great, you're sorry. Great, you feel bad about it. Great. Now what are you going to do? Will you just say, I'm sorry, job's done. Okay, I'll just continue in my disobedience and sin and postpone my obedience to Him later on. Grow up. Start. Go all the way. When you say you're sorry, then obey. Repentance is leaving behind sin and turning to God. But you're, you think repentance is done because you're just saying sorry. Stop that. Grow up. Second would be not laying again a foundation of faith toward God. And yes, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. But you know that's become an excuse now as well. People would say that, would say, it's becoming an excuse. Why? Because you're excusing your disobedience, your continued disobedience to God's word, even though you know it and you don't like it, you excuse because you say, well, I'm saved by grace through faith anyways. That's what a baby does, says. That's what an immature person will keep saying. But to remain in that state would say, what would that mean or the implication to your faith if you prolong and prolong and prolong? And you, that's why you hear the words of Hebrews, as long as this day is called today, as long as this day is told today, listen, listen and hear God. Verse 2 talks about of instructions, about washings and laying on hands. What are those? Those are ceremonies. Those are things that you, the rituals. Okay? God gave them to us to, for us. There should be a lesson learned. It, it's a way that we approach Him. Yes. But now, if you depend on them, because you do it a prayer, you, you did some ceremonies, and you're all right now with God, even though you're dull of hearing, that's the ABCs in the Old Testament. Move to the New Covenant. Stop depending, therefore, GCAF, on some rituals like prayers and ceremonies. What do we do with that? Well, I prayed a prayer to receive God as my Lord and Savior, so I'm fine. And we hear that a lot in, in funerals. And we say, I thank God he prayed a prayer that, that saved him. But then what happened to this life was just this disobedience after disobedience, this lack of love, lack of love from the Lord. Now, well, what about your life? Are you depending on a prayer you prayed before? Are you, are you depending on some rep, past reputations of who you are, what you were doing, but now you're a completely different person? Are you depending on, on the rituals and ceremonies like baptism, like what you do in the ministry to excuse you, your immature, spiritual, and, and everything behavior of your character? I mean, stop it. Grow up. Fourthly, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You know, Old Testament Judaism believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in the eternal judgment. But how can we abuse it today? We could abuse it today by saying, well, sapagat ako ay tao lamang. I'm just a man. Or I'm just a human being. I fail. I'm not perfect. We hear that a lot. One of the favorite things that we hear in church, I'm not perfect. Eh? I'll only be perfect in heaven. So what are you doing? You're making that ex excuse, right? Immature people love to make excuses for their sins. And so what happens here is that I want to tell you, wake up, stop defending your dull of hearing, your dullness of hearing by saying you'll only be perfect in heaven and you are lazy, negligent to address your disobedience, your slowness to hear to God. How have you been addressing when, you, when you're bored with the Word of God? When you read it, how have you been addressing? Some, many of us will say, I'll address it later. I don't, I don't want to think about it. It's hard work. It's, it's something like stressful. We avoid it. And we'll try to defend it by, you know, I believe this, I believe that. And think about it. Wake up. Lastly, 
We'll all do this, and we will do it if God permits. Not taking God's grace for granted. Why? Because even our repentance depends on God's grace. Even our ability to obey Him depends on God's grace. But we make it a reason, a lot of us. Immature people make that a reason by saying, well, if it's God's grace, I'll do it. But really, he's just saying that, but there's no willingness to do it. You see, if you are really loving God and following Him and His grace, you experience His grace, by faith, you'll take the steps to obey. Don't remain in immaturity because you're abusing God's grace. Don't be an abuser of God's grace. Instead, let God's grace spur you toward growth because He guarantees with promises of grace saying, I will give you the desire, the will to do and obey what pleases me. By faith, He's already given us the grace to grow. The Word of God is able to make us grow. There's no reasons. Everything we do and we make up are just excuses and excuses. And I'll close with this. The opposite of dullness of hearing is hearing the Word of God with faith, which produces obedience. You know what? One thing I like about how we would be mature. And that's one thing I pray about. And that's one thing I'm so excited what happens. Just imagine if we are here in GCAF, a people who are mature, maturing every day. Learn, mature people learn or know how to read subtitles in their heart. Let me, let me repeat that again. Mature people know how to discern between right and wrong, between good and evil. They know how to discern subtitles in their heart. When a reason of a kid would say, Dad, I don't understand anything in this world, in this, in this church, the mature person would say, I'll teach you then. When, when, when a situation in, in, in life would say, of someone who's sinning and someone who doesn't conform with culture, the mature person would say, this sin that's been done because of it's against God's word and this sin is done, uh, this thing is, is seen as wrong because it's breaking culture, then the person would be able to discern. And I love that. The opposite of dullness of hearing is hearing the word of God with faith which produces obedience. GCAF, this is not an unnecessary burden that is put on you. The intention is never to make you, your, to bow your shoulders with weight that you feel that is hard or helpless or hopeless. This is to lift you up. Let us listen to this loving wake-up call from God and grow from wherever and whichever state of immaturity we have been at peace with to hate it as God hates it and move on towards maturity. Let's pray. Lord, we are praying, Lord, that we as a people would be listen, uh, careful to listen to you, the God who speaks the God of grace, the God of love, the God who sent His one and only Son to die in our place so don't, we, we don't have to. May not the sting of reproach and rebuke distract us, allow us to be led and lied to by our hearts that we would shun truth just because it is in the form of a reproach or rebuke because that is what Your Word tells us, O Lord. And may we be a people who will not be dull of hearing, but people who love to digest, to eat the solid food. And may we be a people 
that will be mature, not just in this generation, but in the generations to come in this church, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name.